Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We are in a, our summer series through the parables of Jesus, um, going through not all of them, but some of the parables of Jesus, and, um, and asking the question, Jesus, what can we learn from you this summer? What can we learn from the stories that you told that were... Uh, sometimes indirect ways of teaching that could sneak around the backside and catch our attention and then start to say, oh yeah, this is about you. This is about what's going on right now and this is about your heart and this is about the heart of God and this is what I want to say to you. So Jesus, what could we learn from you this summer about who we are and about who you are and about who the world that we live in and how, how we're called to live? And this today and next week, we're going to go over three different parables that happen in Luke 15 that have been called the gospel in the gospels. That Luke 15, especially in Luke's gospel, happens kind of right in the middle and it's, it's like a climax of Jesus' teaching of saying, if you want to see the heart of God, Luke 15 gives you three stories about the heart of God. And so today we're going to talk about the, the first two. They're shorter, the sheep and the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then next week we'll talk about the loving father and two sons that are separated him from him in different ways. And we'll talk about uh, who we are and how we can relate to, to that. So if you have Luke 15, you can open there. Otherwise, uh, we're going to read. Uh, and I think maybe today we'll break it up just a little bit. We'll read the first verse and we'll talk a little bit. And then we'll, um, we'll go on and we'll break it up between the two different parables. Um, can we pray? Father, we want to lean into you. We want to lean on you. We want to hear from you. Would you be present? And would you allow us to experience your presence? Would you give us the humility and the courage to respond to what you teach? Amen. So Luke 15 starts this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. Somehow Jesus had this ability to come from God to live a perfect, sinless, blameless life. And yet, uh, people who were a mess felt safe with him. People who were steeped in sin felt safe with him. And we'll talk about these two different kind of categories, the sinners and the tax collectors today, this reputation of sin being, I can see your sin, I can call it out, I can identify it right there. And that's not to make less of sin or to say, you know what, let's just wash over it, it's all okay. But there is an invitation still by Jesus, and they felt safe. And the tax collectors, you could argue, were worse. Tax collectors were not only sinners, they were traitors. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But even the worst of the worst Felt, uh, felt safe with Jesus. And Luke sets up a contrast. So in verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And verse 2 says this, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So the Pharisees are the religious elite. The Pharisees, they are not all bad. The Pharisees have given their life to God. The Pharisees live striving to please God. 
striving to follow every law that God put out in the Old Testament. And more than that, they would say, I don't want to come even close to the cliff, and so I'm going to take God's laws, and I'm going to create another law and another law and another law, so I stand way far back from the cliff so that I would never, ever get close to sin. And, and their passion, their zeal to live pure lives is commendable. But it goes wrong because they start to separate themselves from everybody else. So if you weren't as zealous as they, and if you didn't follow all of their rules, not just God's rules, but all of their rules on top, you were unclean. You were not, you were not uh, able to have a close relationship with God. You were not one of His own in the way that they were His own. And so they cast judgment on people. And they looked down on sinners. Um, not only did they hate sin, they started to hate sinners. And so the Pharisees, it's written, you can go back to first century writings, and you can see things showing up. You can see things showing up in ancient texts that say, uh, from the, the Pharisees' point of view, there is joy in heaven when one sinner is obliterated. They say we hate sin so much that when one sinner is obliterated and finds judgment and gets cast out, there's joy in heaven. You know why? Because we can remain pure. We can remain clean. And so they hated. They hated what Jesus was doing. He's, he's welcoming sinners to them. And they spent their entire lives trying to distance themselves from sin and stay clean from sin, which is good. Except that they got to the point of saying, I want to stay so far that I will not interact. I will not interact with a sinner. And they said, don't, don't even interact with a sinner, even if it means trying to bring them to God, because you could get dirty in the process. You could become full of it in the process. And meals were especially uh, kind of sacred. To share a meal with someone was to, to open your home and to open your life and to, to open into relationship with them. It was almost this unspoken, I approve of you. And so to share a meal with a sinner was, un, you just would not do that. But Jesus is doing it. And they don't know what to do with that. They, don't, they can't make sense of it and they hate it. And not only is he doing it with sinners, but he's doing it with tax collectors who are Jews. But they're living in an oppressive time. They're living in a time when the government is um, brutal to them. And um, they live in poverty because of the government. And the government is overtaxing them. And the government finds traitors. The government will go in and find Jews and employ them to tax their fellow brothers and sisters, their fellow Jews. And what was said was, this is the tax that we require. And we're not going to pay you. So you can tax people whatever you want, and you get to keep the surplus. And so tax collectors would gouge their own people. And it, I mean, justifiably hated in that way. There was a justifiable anger about what the tax collectors were doing. And so the Pharisees said, we want none of that. We will separate ourselves from that. And yet Jesus, they feel safe. They feel welcome. What is going on with Jesus? And they start grumbling. 
And we get to the gospel in the gospels now. We get to three parables back to back to back that Jesus points to them. And I say, I want to tell you some stories. And they're stories that pierce. And these are not just indirect stories. Jesus goes right at them because he starts with, uh, who, who among you wouldn't do this? So he addresses them and then he tells the story. So I want you to put yourself in this story and I'm going to tell it to you. So verses 3 through 7, um, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. Verse 3 starts, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. If we break down the parable, if we... If we break down the parable, Jesus says, What man of you, if you, have 90, if you have 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, one of them gets lost, what man of you wouldn't go and find that lost one? Why? Because you have been put in charge of them. You have been put in charge and it's your job to protect the sheep. It's your job to direct the sheep and to keep them safe. And if one of them gets lost, you may or may not even own that flock, but you are responsible for that flock. And if one gets lost, you leave the 99 that are safe. And Jesus is probably not saying you put the 99 in danger just to go after the one. Likely shepherds work together. Likely a shepherd could say, will you wash the 99? Will you guide them? They're all good. Can you can you take care of them while I go and search out for this one? Jesus' emphasis is on one that is lost. And he's not saying we'll put the others in danger. We'll not, I don't love them. I'm not going to take care of them. The emphasis is on one that is lost. And Jesus said the shepherd goes and searches because he cares for the sheep and because that's his responsibility to do it. And when he finds the sheep, Jesus says, the shepherd will take it and will put it, put it on his shoulders. And this is this um, image of care. You're lost. You're bumbling around. You don't know which way to go. And I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to carry you home. Rather than just beating you, rather than yelling at you, rather than saying, you dumb sheep, how could you go and get lost? You're, you're a disgrace to the flock. You know what? Just stay lost. He picks it up and he carries it home. And the response is what? Joy. The response is joy, which means the motivator is joy. Is not to go to the sheep and to judge the sheep and to condemn the sheep. It's to bring the sheep home. And Jesus says, what man of you wouldn't do that? And he's, he's making a, um, an interesting statement here. He's, he's making the Pharisees identify themselves as shepherds, which in their day was kind of a despicable trade. In their day, shepherds were not regarded as um, a noble enterprise. Shepherds were often liars. They were cheats. They, 
They were not the upright of the upright. And the Pharisees, Jesus is saying, I want you to identify here with the people that you wouldn't. In your day and age, there are people who you don't want to identify with. But he's doing something even deeper than that. He's making them identify with shepherds who they don't want to. But he's making them identify with shepherds because they should. Ezekiel 34 talks about how God is a shepherd to people and how he has put people in position to be shepherds to his people. Ezekiel 34 has some harsh words. In verses 1 through 10, it says this, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, that is, the leaders of Israel, the ones who have been given the task to care for the flock. He says, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should you, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Jesus has strong words. Jesus says, you are given a call. You are given a charge to protect people. Protect my people, says God. And you have failed. And you are in it for yourselves. And all you care about is yourselves. You take care of them so that you can gain from them. You, you take care of them and they grow up and then you slaughter them and you eat them and you are not taking care of them. I want you to take care of the people, but you haven't taken care of people. And so God says, I'm against you. Imagine if they prayed, God bless us. And he says, no, I'm against you. And he's saying, I will not be for you if you are against me. I will not be for you if you, if you go against the call that I've given you. If you are not on my side, how dare you ask me to be on your side? And he says, I'm going to remove you as shepherds. But he's not done. Because he keeps going. Ezekiel 34 follows. 
For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my people, of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I will feed them in justice. What do you think Jesus is saying when he says, what man of you, if you have a hundred sheep and one strays, what man of you wouldn't go get it? Only you haven't. Only you don't. What do you think Jesus' point is? He says it's heaven's joy It's heaven's joy when one sinner repents. Not when one sinner is obliterated. When one sinner repents, it's heaven's joy. And Jesus in John 10 says, God said he would be your shepherd. God said he would go out and he would seek and he would bring back the straight. And in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I love my sheep. And I call them by name, and my sheep know my voice. My sheep hear my voice calling them, and they know my voice, and they know it's me, and they won't answer to anybody else. You grumble that I'm sitting down with sinners. It's your job to do it. And I'm going to do it. And then he goes on, and he says, and he gives him another parable, the parable of the lost coin. He says in uh, Luke 15, verse 8, Or what woman, which is um, something by itself, because women in those days, in a very highly patriarchal society, didn't have a lot of value. And so a woman to be the center of a story or to be the main character in the story, even in a short story, was to give them value. And Jesus said, you don't want to identify as shepherds. I'm going to tell a story about a woman, too. I'm going to keep going. And I want to speak value to all people, even if you wouldn't, and even if you don't recognize it. So he says, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, 
There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What's, what, what are the common pieces between the two? Something is lost, and someone searches for it. Someone doesn't just say, well, it's gone. Someone searches for it, and the result is joy. Not condemnation. Joy. So the, the woman has ten coins, and uh, the word that they use for coins here would represent, a few weeks ago we talked about uh, the generous vineyard owner who was hiring people and they would give them a day's wage. That could be a coin. So uh, a lot of people think ten coins, she loses one. It's not like you lost a quarter. And so you're like, oh, i got to find my quarter. You know what, no big deal. And then you open up the couch six months later and you get like $15. <laughs> she loses a day's wage. And who knows what the circumstance is? Who knows? That is her savings. Maybe her husband has fought hard as a day laborer, and each one of those coins represents a day that he worked hard and brought home money so that they could eat, and she loses one, and she searches for it. In their houses, they weren't full of light. They, were, uh, they didn't have electricity. Uh, they had small windows, and so the, the, the houses were shelter, but they were dark. The floors were dirt often. Sometimes they were um, kind of like um, bricks laid out, but there were gaps, and so it would be really easy. Coins have been found in digs, archaeological digs, between uh, the stones of the floor. So Jesus is taking what could be very common and saying, uh, look, what woman wouldn't search? until she finds it. And the point is joy. The end is joy. And he again has this refrain. There is joy in heaven and with the angels when one sinner is not obliterated, but when one sinner repents, when one sinner is brought home, when one sinner is, uh, is included and called home, when one sinner repents. We are lost. Without Jesus, we are lost. We all stumble around. We all don't know the way to go. And we all make a mess of ourselves. Sheep are not the brightest animals. The fact that God uses sheep as an image over and over and over for his people is not a compliment. <laughs> the fact that he would say that you and I are sheep means I don't have the brains to do this by myself. I don't have the will to do this by myself. I don't have the strength to do this by myself. By myself, I think of messes. I say things that get me in messes. I act in ways that cause messes for others and for myself. I inflict pain, sometimes because I want to, and sometimes because I'm just too dumb to see that it's going to cause pain. I'm lost, and you are too. Without Jesus, we are lost. 
And it's the answer isn't praying a prayer and saying, Jesus, save me when I die so I can go to heaven. The answer is saying, Jesus, will you be my shepherd? Jesus, will you guide me? Will you take care of me? Will you show me the way? Will you bring me home? And this starts now. If Jesus left my life, I would be lost. If I stop following Jesus, I will be lost. I will, I will not go the right way. And neither will you. Jesus does not rejoice in us being obliterated. Our sin does separate us from God. Our sin alienates. Our sin causes division between us and God and between us and each other. And God doesn't delight in our obliteration. God seeks us out. Just like he said in Ezekiel 34. And Jesus came, he said, to seek and save the lost. He said, I'm a good shepherd and I love my sheep. And I don't just love my sheep with my emotions. I love my sheep in a way that I will do what? I will lay down my life for my sheep. You want to talk about Jesus who is devoted to you? Jesus did everything to bring you home so that you don't have to stay lost. If you are lost, if you recognize yourself as lost, good. Good. Because then we can quit pretending. If you recognize a need, good. Not for condemnation, but for joy, because Jesus came for you. Jesus gave his life for you and for me. And he didn't do it just so he could point his finger. He, do it, he did it so we could come home. And our response is repentance. Our response is to quit trying to do it our own. To quit trying that path to a greener pasture and we end up getting lost and we end up uh, messed up and stranded and alone and fearful and we end up hurting ourselves and we end up hurting each other. Our response ought to be repentance to say, I will stop leading my own life and I will give my life, Jesus, to you and I will follow you. We need to repent. We need to turn around. We need to be humble. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that he knows you. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that he knows your name and he is calling you. And if you feel that inside, maybe that's him awakening in you the ability to hear his voice. And your plea can be, will you be my shepherd? Will you save me? Thank you for coming, for seeking me out. Will you bring me home and will you make that happen today? I'm done living on my own. I've made a mess and my sin is hanging on my shoulders. And Jesus said, I'll take it. I'll take it. It is not cheap grace. It is not a grace that makes light of sin. It's a grace that takes sin so seriously that it says you can't handle it on your own. And so I will take it from you. And if you hear his voice calling, then I want you to come home. Do not turn away from it. And 
don't feel that because you reached out to him when you were 11, that you're done. Don't feel that if you reached out to him when you were broken and now you're good, that you're done. Sheep don't like get saved and then they're like, okay, I don't need a shepherd now. I no longer need a savior. I no longer need redemption. I no longer need a rescue. I, I still need Jesus. And so if you have heard him as your shepherd, then you continue to follow him as your shepherd. But don't forget the Pharisees. Because Jesus has a poke in the chest word for them. Because he says, you are safe. You, you have been given the task of seeking and saving the lost. Of going out and searching for the lost to call them home. And you haven't. And Jesus says, and I am. So I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is immediately applicable. I don't know if this is what God, this is directly what God would have for us coming out of this parable. But I had this question this week. Are we more like the Pharisees? Or are we more like Jesus? If we are in his flock, have we been given a job? So he doesn't just want us to be sheep. In some ways, he also calls us to be shepherds. He also calls us to take care of his flock. Are we more like the Pharisees who grumble, who will not associate, who will not invite, but are just fine keeping a distance and, to, and saying, to hell with you. Or do we have the heart of Jesus? And I don't want to ask that question with an obvious answer in mind to shame you or to shame us or to cheer. I, because it has penetrated me this week. I want to ask the question and legitimately ask the question what does my heart reveal? What do my actions reveal? I think that's a penetrating question. Is God calling you to be a shepherd? And will you embody the heart of Jesus? Do we love? And do we search? Or do we separate and do we condemn? I found this section in study this week. It says, if that's the character of our God, it should be our own character as well. These parables do not tell us how to search for the lost, but they do imply that we should. And then, uh, this was pretty pointed to me. It says, unfortunately, we have strange ideas of what it means to search for the lost. We more likely have images of accosting people than images of the limitless grace of Jesus' reception of sinners. Christians worry that sinners do not change fast enough. Or even worse, that association with sinners will give Christians a bad reputation or be a bad influence on them. 
The necessity of separating from sin is a reality. But so is the necessity of being involved in seeking the lost. What wisdom will suffice to guide both necessities? Jesus neither condoned sin, left people in their sin, nor communicated any disdain for sinners. He mirrored the image of his Father and invited them to receive God's forgiveness and participate in God's kingdom. Whatever else we may say, the initiating grace and acceptance of God displayed by Jesus must be evident in all we do. We are called to be like Jesus. Not to make light of sin, but also not to abandon people in their sin. And so I will say, I am not done. God has work to do in me. And I will say, as a church, we are not done. God has work to do in us and in the heart of our church to say, what is our heart for people? What is our heart for going after people who are hurting in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our community? What is our heart? What does he call us to? I love what 2 Corinthians 5 says in verses 19 and 20. It says that is in Christ, in Christ God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Can you go back to 19? In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and entrusting us, entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. It is no doubt that our world is divided, that our country is divided, that our city is divided. Maybe even our church is divided. But God has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is to bring the divided together. And we don't do it just because we want to. We do it only because that's what Jesus has already done. Jesus talks about people who were far off from God being brought near to God through what he did and who he is. And that's us. That's you and me. We were far from God and Jesus brought us near. And then he hands us the baton and he says, now go and do likewise. Go and do the same. In Matthew 25 there's a parable of Jesus separating sheep and goats. And we're actually going to talk about that parable later in the summer. But one of the marks of judgment that is coming um, is not just um, our theological stances. Not just our head knowledge, but our actions. Jesus says, when you saw people hurting, what did you do? Did you take care of them? Or did you turn away? And that matters to God. We don't do it by our own strength. Jesus actually says, like, I want you to know me, and then I, I want you to see me, and I want you to tell people about me. So his 
disciples, after he rose, they got really excited and they asked him the question, is now the time when you're going to install the kingdom? Is now the culmination? Is now the time when you're going to kind of obliterate evil and make all things right in the world? Is now the time? And he says, no. No, you don't know the time and I don't know the time. Jesus says in something that I'm still, I don't understand what he's saying there. He says, but you will be my witnesses to what is going on. That is to say, you have seen me and you will share about me. You have seen me and you will tell. You have witnessed something and you will be a witness. And he says, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that it says, it starts here, right where you are, with a people like your own. And it branches out into the neighborhood, into the community, and it branches even to Samaria, which is people that you don't like, and people who are different from you. And it goes all around the globe. And I believe Damascus Road, that we are called to be witnesses. And I believe that we're called to do it here, in our church, and in our families, and in our neighborhoods, and in our community, and in our city. And who knows where God would send us. And I don't know, I don't know every step of the plan yet. But we will continue to say, God, where will you lead us? And part of what is going on is we have to speak to the division even in our own community and say it's not okay to be silent. It's, it's not okay to be passive and just say Jesus. We've got to start doing something that says we want reconciliation. I don't know what all that looks like yet. But I know that we are going to step into it. And I want you to pray. I want us to pray. God, thank you for being our shepherd. God, how would you call us to go after people? I want you to pray that. I want you to pray for our church. I want you to pray for our community. That we would be bold, that we would be courageous, that we would be faithful. That we would rest in Jesus and we would follow Jesus. Before we go into a time of communion, which is... It's an act that remembers the reconciliation that we have with Christ and with God. Before we do that, I want to take some time just um, to pray in quiet. And if you're still um, reeling because of the events of the week, use the time to pray in quiet. And to call out, Jesus, we need you. And let, let's us in this quiet, as individuals in the church, cry out to God and say, Jesus, where do you want us to go? To whom will you have a search? Like, who, who, who do you want us to go to? Who, show us people to care for. Would you make me a person that 
does not shut my eyes and close my ears and does not ignore people in front of me. Let's take some time in quiet.